welcome to Wild Research Bites. My name is Emily Fredriksson, and today we're going to talk about women in science. And with me, I have Associate Senior Lecturer Judith Felten. Welcome. Thank you. And I also have Navinder Singh, Senior Lecturer and Associate Professor here at VFM. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, so, Judith, you're, you spoke at Sopok Science last year, and you're going to speak again this year. Yes. Nice. And you work with... Um, mycorrhiza, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, cool. Do you want to explain what what that is <laughs> a little bit? <laughs> yes, I can explain that. Um, like there's uh, lots of trees in the forest and we see those trees and we see usually mostly the stem and the leaves and the crown, but there's a lot of life underneath the ground as well. So these trees that are here in the forest, they interact with fungi or as we know them as mushrooms, um, in the soil. And these mushrooms, they are very, um, they, they spread out through the soil. They make kind of a network, something that we don't see. And only when they make their fruiting bodies, usually in the fall, or some do that in the spring, we can see actually these mushrooms. But they are, they are all year around underground in large networks. And they explore the soil, they take up nutrients, and they can exchange nutrients with the tree. So they, because they are underground and they cannot make any photosynthesis, they are a little bit like we. <laughs> they need something to eat and they are fed by the tree who gives them sugars that they are made by photosynthesis. And then the fungus uh, explores the soil and takes up phosphorus and nitrogen very efficiently. The plant is not so good at that. And then it can provide that nutrient to the plant that the plant tree needs to grow again. Yeah, so that's remember, how they live together. I remember yeah. learning about this when I started studying biology and I thought it was so cool. Just, yeah, all these symbiosis and things you mm -hmm. never think about otherwise. And they, uh, I mean, they are in trees and they are called ectomycorrhiza in trees, but there's also different other forms of mycorrhiza that exist in uh, like... Um, like crop plants, for example, and they are mostly the endomycorrhiza hmm. fungi. But what I study is ectomycorrhiza and in the context of forests and trees. Right. Cool. And Navinde, I read on your website and it says spatial ecologist and animal environmental interactions. Uh, so what is that? <laughs> so my main interest in is in understanding why animals move, how do they move, where do they go, and how do they affect us, their own self and our ecosystems, and how can we manage and conserve them for our future. So looking more from the mobility side of this dynamic system of animals through movements transfer nutrients, uh, pollens, and genetic material, they link ecosystems, they have a large role to play in structuring and functioning of ecosystems. So I look at especially this mobility aspect of how these movements drive systems. Hmm. And over recent times, these migrations and movements of animals across all taxa have been influenced so much by human interventions and climate. So how in future we'll be able to, to conserve and manage these systems and the species, yeah. considering that they move over large distances, many of them, mm. at least. Yeah, it's a very cur current uh, hot topic right now, I think. 
Yeah, especially when we see the spring and we see all the swans and geese flying yeah. over <laughs> us and we wonder where do they go and where do they come from. Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating to see species moving in large numbers. And yes. Where should we put protection? Who should we protect? Where should they be protected? Yeah. yeah it's a very complex issue and moving animals are hard to study if you come from a more of a plant uh, background, for example, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think <okay. laughs> it's, uh, it's another aspect entirely. I movement. guess technology really helps as well. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. It's absolutely true. To know where they go and when do they come in and yeah. leave. So <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's very nice. Now, I invited you both here to talk about um, both women in science in general and then also this soapbox science event. And uh, I wanted to start to ask Navinder about, because you're the organizer or uh, initiator of, of the event here in Umeå and how, how that came to be. So when I was in uh, England doing my postdoc, uh, this movement was gaining momentum. And uh, one of the organizers of first Soapbox Science event was a colleague of mine who we were interacting a lot. And then I moved to Sweden. I lost a little bit of the touch and then I realized after a few years, maybe an artifact of being exhausted from just sitting in the office or libraries doing research to see mo to do something more fun. And then I had seen that this movement had gotten a lot of momentum throughout the world. So I felt this would be a great initiative to bring to Sweden, which had not had any soapbox event yet, uh, to try to implement it here. And I realized that it had become so much of a movement and it was so well organized that it would be possible for us to replicate that model. Um, so that's where it gave me some inspiration. And then I had friends who were equally motivated in bringing it here, so we formed a team. And then we started working on it. Hmm. Of course, the whole idea emerges from the need for it here because we felt that the same issues persisted in Sweden as well, that we had fewer and fewer women in a higher level of academia in Sweden, in STEM subjects especially, science, technology, engineering and medicine. Yeah. So we thought it was highly relevant for here. Yeah, it's very relevant. I pulled some statistics from the SLU website. Um, for example, we have 29% women professors um, and uh, in lecturers or associate professors, which is, I guess, more your category, it's 53%. So that's that's not that's good. <laughs> uh, and research personnel is 47, and deans and head of departments is 31. Mm. So yeah, it kind of diminishes the higher up you get. Yeah, especially for now, our department has no female professor. No. At this stage. Which is a bit sad. <laughs> Uh, now, I read the vision on the website of Soapbox Science says uh, the idea is to have an outreach platform for promoting women scientists and the science they do, and that they follow the London Hyde Park Speakers Corner format, which is where the Soapbox comes in. Yeah. So the idea is, of course, besides highlighting women, also promoting them as idols that younger generation can look up to a woman scientist equally as a male scientist. Um, if we consider the analysis done in the background for soapbox science, you will see that 
when children were asked to paint a picture of a scientist, they painted a bald male old person with a lab coat and yeah oh, just this is like not the person I see next to me, for example, like you just <laughs> so, and that's, that's what I did not see as well, because when I was doing my postdoc, my how should I say p i was a very famous female professor who was in fact yesterday being selected for society's conservation of biology uh how do you say lifetime contribution to conservation award mm. so very reputed award so I always had this vision I saw her as idol mm. to to promote more no it's a very encourage. good idea to yeah. get even more people to have that view yeah. of it yeah so that gave me inspiration to also implement it here and we in fact fortunately when we proposed her last year for SLU's honorary doctorate she was also selected and awarded a Oh. Honorary doctorate from SLU, so which was even more proud. Yeah, yes. very cool. So, Judith, how did you feel standing on one of these boxes last year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, scary <laughs> in the beginning. It's We are not used to that at all as a scientist. We go to lots of conferences and present our data, and you're always there with your little PowerPoint <laughs> assistant, <laughs> like an assistant, <laughs> you feel you're not alone. But when you stand there on the box, you don't have any any kind of uh, digital support or anything with you. So you uh, ask to present with your hands and maybe some printouts or some things that you have brought with you, some props. And that was a very different way of explaining science because... It's very abstract what we are doing in molecular biology. You cannot see it. So uh, having pictures to explain things is usually the way we go. But uh, it was fun to bring things there and to stand there on a box where people can see you and you have to kind of shout <laughs> at them so that they can <laughs> hear. But uh, it was also very nice because you can integrate people when you stand there and I was trying to show them how the mycorrhizal network was in the soil, so everybody got to hand, hold hands with each other, and then we could see how large the network would get with the people that were standing around the box. Mm. And that gives you a new perspective of how you can look at the science, and it gives a very visual way for the people to understand something that they cannot see. Yeah, it was a lot of creative... Uh, ideas of how to explain science. Last year I was there uh, mm. watching it too and there were stuffed fish toys eating uh, uh, candy. And <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, everybody had really great ideas yeah. and we were very inspired by each other. And also when we practiced this here, standing on a box in the lecture hall, we got kind of the feeling what it meant to stand on a box, <laughs> how big that box is. Uh, but it was a good practice because we could give each other feedback and uh, when we presented, say, oh, that was good or that was easy to understand and that was maybe a bit difficult. Maybe you can show something in a different way. I think it was nice, a nice group also to practice that together and to support each other as a scientist in such a group. Did you do it at the department? Uh, or like you did in the soapbox science group or mm -hmm. how to say it? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, so we joined the volunteers and mm. speakers and organizers together and they give feedback to oh, each other. That's perfect. We also had some, we had to be test audience here, I remember, for yes. for calling, yes. for example. For our own speakers from the department, we organize in the coffee room mm. yeah. trial talks mm. and yeah. ask the department people to come over and yeah, that's really listen good. to them. Because it is hard to shift focus like that because it's different from presenting f- to your peers and then mm. to public when you you have no idea who's going to listen. Mm. It's yes. a challenge. And especially if you present it in a different language. There's a lot of words that I use in English that I just think everybody knows. But English is not my native language either. So I've learned these words like some vocabulary, so, but not everybody obviously does. <laughs> so then you try to... Yeah, to find other ways of describing what you're doing. It's enriching also (laughs) for (laughs) language-wise. So you get new ways of explaining what you do. And I mean, it's uh, it happens. It happens that you get asked by some people that you meet outside of science what you're doing. So it it's a good practice to learn how to better explain your research and to. Maybe for some of the PhD students that were part of it that have not been so long in this research, um, also good to see a wider perspective because there come a lot of questions from the public that relate to maybe not exactly the topic that you're working on, but something related or the impact of what you're working on for our country or for the world. And... um, Maybe as a more experienced researcher, you get used to that because you need to write that into your applications for funding. Like, what will this actually, how will that benefit the society? But um, as a younger researcher, you have usually not done that so much, and that's a good practice for everybody. Yeah, yeah, you sit on our little, very uh, specific subject areas, PhD students, and it's good to get another <laughs> perspective. <laughs> nice. But you're also going to be in this year. Uh, yes, soapbox science, mm-hmm. which we said is in uh, the 18th of May from 10 to 15 in the city center, right? Yes. Um, so what what would you what are you gonna do this year differently, or it's like um, yeah, you have a redo now. I have. Uh, I thought it was a good uh, it was a good opportunity to present something different. Yeah, I have been. Um, um, I myself am very fascinated by doing microscopy. It's We do that a lot in my own research group. Um, and uh, you get to really see what is happening inside organisms. You get to see where molecules are inside that organism and what they can do if they go from the mushroom to the plant root or something like that. Um, but microscopy that we do is something that not many people can relate to and know what it actually means. And I, th- I think we see all these fascinating structures that plants or fungi are made of, and I would like to share that. I would like to explain what a microscope is, and you can buy some very cheap ones in a toy store, and you can already see something with those and give a perspective in what we actually can see, how much can we zoom into organisms and magnify what is happening there, and uh, what can that help actually for research. Oh, it's, a lot, uh, it's more uh, of a broad topic that I wanted to 
explained this year and I can I can talk a little bit more broader about what we are doing at Umeå Plant Science Center as well because ev everybody there uses the microscopy for their <laughs> research subjects and to pick a few different samples, not just the mycorrhiza, but maybe also some other things. Mm. Or maybe somebody can bring something that they want to look at in a microscope. The challenge for me is to, the microscope usually needs electricity yeah. <laughs> for the light. So I will have to experiment with that and find a way of uh, generating enough light for people to see through the microscope. But everything can be solved. So <laughs> there's for sure a solution for that as well. Yeah, you have to bring a, a extension cord from uh, like a nearby store. Or a searchlight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's for sure a solution for that. My microscopy, or how do you say it? I don't even know how to say it in English. It's very fascinating. I remember the first time you had to use them in school, and it's very cool. Just these, um, when you put a um, moss leaf for the first time and see all the cells. Mm. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> or your own blood. <laughs> yes, for example. Yeah, it's very, very cool. It's very it's very pretty. And we have in parallel to the Soapbox Science an event that we organize, that's organized throughout the world now as well, which is the Fascination of Plants Day. And that's happening, it coincides that it's happening exactly on the same day. So when people, if people are more interested, they can continue and go to Vevan where that mm -hmm. event is happening and they you can do some experiments. It's for Kids and adults, everybody can go there and maybe do some more microscopy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or do some other DNA extraction or some other experiments that we usually prepare for that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, because Soapbox Science is also an uh, international event. They have um, 42 events planned this year, apparently, in 13 countries. So that's very exciting. And in Sweden, we have Umeå and then Uppsala also, 25th of May. Uh, usually three hours and in session, so there's speakers uh, speaking simultaneously. Yeah, so the idea is to have uh, 12 speakers who, with four speaking each hour at four different boxes, and then the f these four speakers leave and the other four come in, and then you have three uh, three such hours where four each, so total 12 speakers speak hmm. during this time. And they speak in parallel or sometimes depending on the crowds gathering. So the whole fascination about, or the whole challenge about this event was, we, we also didn't know last year how it's going to be. Yeah. And should they all be speaking at the same time? Will we have people enough to come and listen to? Or, or how will it be? So we were equally nervous as speakers if this is going to be a success. Yeah. It was. It, it worked was, out it literally. Worked, <laughs> it worked very well, especially... So there was a moment during the day when me, Sabrina and Clara, who were other organizers with me, we stood in the middle of the area where the event was happening and we saw all four speakers were on the box at the same time. And that's when we said, okay, now it's working. <laughs> because it took a while to gain momentum. People have, were at one box and the other one was waiting for more people to come. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then the third one was waiting and then the fourth one was waiting. But then there were enough curious people at some point during the day when the crowds start to build up that on each of the boxes there were people. Hmm. And then each of the speakers had to come up on the box. 
so it it had to be coordinated quite carefully because sometimes speakers of course wasn't weren't sure as well that should i get up to the box and start talking how many how many people were enough to start to give the talk mm. because you don't want to have two people listening and the rest wandering around you know you don't need to have at least 10 to 15 people listening at the same time so when is it optimum to build up a group that the speaker starts to to speak because otherwise they were more there informally yeah so you don't want to be in a position where you're speaking and there's no one listening no so you had to wait for enough people to file up and we also realized during the process that sometimes some people had to be heard it as well <laughs> they need to be directed because yeah. they would listen to one and then go into circles and wander into different directions so it, we we learned a lot during the whole event that how to handle the crowd how to keep them engaged how to keep them interested for instance judith was talking now about microbiome and suddenly the next one was going to talk about muscles so we had to at some point sc- scream out loud saying <laughs> all right you heard about microbiome and now it's time to hear about muscles let's see what she has to say about muscles so these were practical things that that we learned for this year's experience of how to handle crowds you know hmm. how to keep people hanging there and I think the whole infrastructure that you organized with all the volunteers was really nice. That worked all yeah. very well and we felt like we could really focus on what should be happening at the box and our little table where we had a lot of right. props and things to look at when there was few people they could come forward and look yes. at that. It was really well organized even for the training and before mm. and uh, that and was great work. And we were very lucky with the weather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was very warm. Fingers and sunny, crossed. Right? Hopefully this year. Yeah, what happens same. when it rains? <laughs> so we had a backup last year. Oh really? Yeah, we could have moved into the the shopping center. Oh. So we had booked the place. But unfortunately this year we are we haven't managed to get another plan B. So that's the only thing that makes me nervous, but hopefully we'll manage. Uh, Cross yeah. our fingers. <laughs> yes. For no rain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about I mean this event is is to promote women so I get the idea of only having women but it also to break the stereotype of the old man in the lab coat you kind of don't need an event that's only for women or the, it's like women uh, people who identify as female it's like the reason behind it being closed for or directed only to females see I think the catch here is that it's it's an issue that we are targeting that the, the problem is in particularly these stem subjects mm. if you go to certain other fields you may find actually more women for instance psychology or veterinary science i mean it's pretty obvious that there you the people are providing more incentives to men to come in yeah so we thought maybe it's good to start like here and then expand eventually There are there are quite many events open for all scientists but then there are not very many targeted events like that. Hmm. And I I don't know maybe in the last couple of years of organizing this I felt that it has been not so easy to motivate many women to come up, you know. We haven't had that enthusiastic response that we had to make a selection amongst the speakers on who gets to talk. 
So we are hoping that once this catches momentum in Sweden, more and more will come out themselves. So, so either this is an artifact that there are fewer women in science, that's why we get fewer applicants, or that are there are still a bit cautious of coming out and talking. I mean, Judith is a star. Judith is my star in that sense. <laughs> so I really hope that that. Thank I mean, you. you see, that's the point. That's exactly the point that people start to idolize. Oh, I want to be like her. You know. So. So eventually we, we will overcome this bias and say, all right, now it's time that we open it for all, mm. you know, once we have enough. I think in general, um, popular science activities, uh, people don't put so much time onto them. It's, I would say, if I look at like organization of the fascination of Plants Day, it's probably equally difficult to motivate mm. men or women. Some mm. people just do it. Right. Other people, they, I mean, you can understand the soapbox science is very special because you stand on a box, you need to speak loud. It's not everybody's thing. Mm. Um, I always like to take a little challenge and say, well, let's see how that works. <laughs> I've <laughs> never done it. It's uh, it's scary, but uh, I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? That you fall off the box, maybe. <laughs> 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 but um, I think it's a very rewarding activity with popular science. When you go and talk to people and show them what you are doing and they come and they discover that for the first time in their life that there's these things happening in the forest soil or with that there's an explanation for animal uh, movement or how muscles work in their own body. It's so great to see people there with big eyes watching you and yeah. asking questions. And you feel like you actually do make a difference when when you stand there and when you answer their questions. And you get home and, uh, after the day and you feel like, yeah, that was great. That was worth investing energy in. But then as a researcher, I think we also need to be better in finding ways that do not that do not demand too much time investment to do popular science because there is our time is limited as well but the still popular science activities are important to to bring our science out into society and that people in society also understand what we are doing that we're having a mission and we're having aims and that we want to make a difference and make the world better especially for us i think yeah, genetically modified plants is a big issue for us working in bio biological science. So there we benefit by talking about what we are doing and why we are doing that to make people be less afraid and know that there's a purpose of doing that. Not everything is good, not everything is bad, but teach them how to make up their own opinion. And that's why that's, uh, I, would, I would want to in encourage more people to take opportunities and stand up for their own science and bring it out to the people. Very right. <laughs> You agree. <laughs> I couldn't agree. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, as you said, it's it's also, I think soapbox science, for me, it's it's a medium. I mean, it's not that I, I personally, you know, I, I certainly liked, I really enjoyed myself in the event. And at the end of the day, I felt I have done something to promote science, you know. Uh, and that's why I completely agree with Judith is saying, we, it's our responsibility to tell people about what we're doing. Because it's such an information age that there's so much information out there. How do you pick 
the good information versus the bad one. And and if we are doing something worthwhile, which we get money from from the taxpayers, I feel it's our almost our duty to tell them that look, we are doing a great job, and you need to listen to this. And then it's very gratifying at the end of the day that you feel like, wow, I have learned a lot. People, a thousand people have learned a lot because we did a foot count last year and mm-hmm. we counted more than a thousand people were there for three hours. Ooh. So That's impressive. So that was very gratifying. And that was, again, the inspiration to continue this year. Mm-hmm. We had the two head of institutions from Umia, the rector from Umia University was there and our dean was there throughout the day. They hung out there. And we asked them, would you like to have dinner now with us? They said, sorry, we have commitment. <laughs> but they stayed throughout the event. Yeah. So this itself is a big encouragement, you know, that mm. your yes. heads are hanging out there with a little sausage and yeah. <laughs> going from one talk to the other. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was very much fun to be there. And yes. I didn't know we that they were there, but that's that's very encouraging. We all enjoyed a lot. No, it was very f- I was there when there was a lot of people at all the soapboxes yes. and running around. Um, it was very, very fun. And the format is so so nice that that they've had now almost a decade of experience now organizing soapboxes, I- science events in different countries, different languages, that they ho- the whole format is super organized. So y- it's not that difficult, I must say, to to start to do the event. Uh, it took a while to convince the the funders, uh, and I had to sometimes deal with questions like, "Oh, you're being biased. Why do you want to do a only women event? Mm. We don't agree with this. This discriminates even further." Mm. For me, I see the opportunity rather than a big debate. Yep. And I I clearly said that look, I am not here to debate about what is right or wrong, but I clearly see this as a a nice medium. To, to highlight our science. And if we are tackling a problem that we have fewer women in science at the higher position, then we need to say it. What's, why do we have to be shy about it? No, that's completely true. I think also it's great that you as a man are the initiat- <laughs> initiative yeah. of that event because that also sh- gives a sign that uh, if you would be a woman organizing that, you would have to face even that criticism more, that you're a woman yeah. asking for money to promote women. Mm. Uh, but you're a man and want to promote women in science. And that also sets a good message, which also means other men can also help to do that. It's not only the women that can help uh, continuing with the job and try to find ways of doing the science. and mm. But it's the whole system. Everybody can make their contribution to mm find a way to more equal right. numbers of men and women in science. I feel somehow a responsibility as a scientist to address these issues. And if a similar issue arises in terms of inequality or, or you know, fighting for the rights of younger age bias or something, or, you know, I would happily do it, you know. So it, it was a inspirational thing to do for me too. I have two little girls and I hope they become one of them at least become the scientist. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to to have some role models for them, it will be nice mm-hmm. that they will want to. I mean, I always, as I said, uh, I always pondered when I was doing my postdoc that I would like to be like EJ. 
the professor who was I was she would come to work and I was in mesmerized. How does she manage all this work? Fifteen PhD students, so many postdocs. <laughs> and she has time for everyone. I was like, if there's a role model, here it is. And yeah. I didn't see it that time as a gender issue, but I do feel somehow that yeah, it's there and it needs to be addressed. Yeah. And I <laughs> I could have been a female, but I was still done that, I think. <laughs> so for me, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, I don't consider, yeah, mm. there is somewhere, there is a thing, but yeah, I don't particularly see it from that angle. Because for me, I, all, all of my colleagues are equal to me, you know, I don't rate them higher or lower. We need more people thinking like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm so pleased to have you all around. Yeah. No, I was just thinking back to if if I could pinpoint any like female research or uh, leaders or something in my academia or like uh, studying here or something, and I can't I can't really think of anyone. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of male lecturers and teachers and professors, but yeah, no, not really. I ended up here anyway, which is good i guess so i became a biologist <laughs> because the only th thing i studied was biology yeah. in the later stages of school and there was only a female biology teacher yeah. she was mean but she was like, the best <laughs> <laughs> she she nailed biology into us mm. that that is what fascinated me about her she was stubborn and mean but that <laughs> was the best thing she did for us mm. i think I became a biologist. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think somewhere I already started to get there, doing this from the schooling to the college and here. Yeah. What about you, Judith? Yeah, I've been thinking about that too. I have been in my uh, university time. I had actually mostly main supervisors who were male. And then a more direct supervisor to me who was female. I never really thought about them being male or female when it came to like thinking about my own leadership or role models, for example, how I wanted to do it was more of a human feeling of this, this doing it in a certain way seems to be better or worse for the group, uh, for the people working together. So I can't really say that I have a very strong female role model to look up to. I have definitely had a role model in my uh, official PhD supervisor for outreach, because he was very engaged in that. And working in France with uh, mushrooms is obviously, uh, well, the French kitchen, <laughs> <laughs> something interesting. But people are very interesting in interested in mushrooms there. And uh, he has been on television and on the radio and written a book now and always found the time and I think he has brought a little bit the image to me that it's an honor to be able to do outreach mm. which uh, people need to maybe yeah, what a great ingest more <laughs> it's yeah it's great if people come to you and ask you to talk about what you are doing and uh, to, you have obviously some credit and some important things to say if people want to listen to you. And even everybody of the thousand people that 
passed by soapbox signs and stood there and listened to one of us. It's an honor for us, for us that they came and that they thought we had something important to say. Yeah. So I, th I think it brought to me m maybe much more this idea about how should we think about doing outreach. But it would be nice to have a nice uh, female role model also in, <laughs> in, in science. You I are for certain people, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, thank you. <laughs> that may be. Maybe I'm, uh, yeah, I haven't done enough of that yet to be. But it's, uh, it's definitely great. On a funny note, this, I remember talking about role models. Uh, two days before the event, um, our printer had messed up the lab coats that the speakers were going to wear. So he made completely the wrong ones. And the sizes of all the lab coats were extremely large. <laughs> and I saw and I almost had a heart attack. And I'm a person who often sees a crisis and in the next moment starts to think for plan B, C, D, E, F. And the first thing that disappointed me completely, because all this time I was imagining all of you standing on these boxes really smart with his white lab coats and you know almost like a, a priest <laughs> <laughs> and when i imagined all of you in this huge bags i said you're going to ruin this event with your stupidity of the <laughs> lab coats i spent the next whole night and day trying to find new lab coats to get them printed and everything um yeah, I had to drag that printer out to buy new lab coats with me the next morning. And we went, I rejected the whole order. <laughs> I still have a sample, you'll see. They look like. <laughs> and when I saw all of you speaking there, I was like, oh, wow, they look amazing. <laughs> so it was also, I mean, it was an aesthetic set, thing, but I had, you know, I had built a picture in my mind how all of you will look and how the event will play out during that day. And when I saw everyone in these super shiny white lab coats with these pink logos, I told myself, well done. <laughs> <laughs> it looked really smart. Mm. I mean, because I really wanted this to be a nice event, good, good for everyone, but also it should look nice, you know. Yeah. You get a good feeling when you mm. look at all these role models. They look really smart. Yeah, obviously, if you wear a far too large lab coat, you look very small in that. So that no, would have been so. the opposite message we wanted to say. They were blue on collars. <laughs> and it looked like everyone was some industry worker who were, I don't know, I can't even describe. <laughs> but yeah, these kind of things, they came and they re you know, these lab coats that our speakers are going to wear is the highlight of that whole setup. Because you see... The public below and the scientists as idols on the boxes. And if they don't look nice, come on, for me, it's <laughs> such a... But sorry, it's yeah. a small aspect. If you look at the practicality or the, or the whole idea of the event, this is a minor detail. No. I think in a way it's also nice we, we didn't stand all the time on the box. No. We stood on the box when there were many people, when you yes. were thinking like now everybody wants to hear and I'm kind of talking to two and they're standing five, six more around. 
But uh, I enjoyed very much climbing down from the box. And then people come to you. They, uh, when they stand on the box, they stand further away because mm-hmm. uh, it's weird to stand right in front of the box <laughs> of the person. But when you climb down, they come and they ask questions. And I think we transmitted that message that we are like everybody else. We're just having chosen a different way of working and that everybody else can be like that if you put down some time to, to learn and to study. So I think that's also an important image that we want to send, that we we are visible with these white lab coats on the box, but we are also accessible. It's as easy to climb on it as to climb down and to answer everybody's question. And everyone could identify that these were the speakers. Mm. Yeah. You could ask the questions. Compared to standing on a stage with a PowerPoint, it's like it's a huge difference anyway, and it's it's really nice to have something completely different. Yeah. Oh, it was very gratifying at the end of the day. We mm-hmm. were all super exhausted, but I think <laughs> it was very empowering and nice. inspiring. Yeah, I just looked yeah. through the, the topics for for this um the summer's event and it's just the the wide wideness of the topics is insane. I have forest fire, uh pregnancy nausea, uh salmon migration, super fruit, antibiotic resistance hydropower, uh, and some kind of forest detective, uh, outside from your uh, micros- mi- microscopy <laughs> topic too. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a very wide range of topics. Super interesting. See, we would have loved to have more speakers from physics, for instance, mathematics, yeah. computer science side. Hopefully in the coming years, we, we will have more and more as the event picks up more momentum hmm. yeah, yeah because yeah maybe these are more <laughs> the g- greener more biological side mm. medicine side mm. i think yeah it is understandable that slu is completely working on biology <laughs> right here. but it's also even more difficult to find women in physics and That's in math true. and then find women that would like to and they're over committed often yeah <laughs> Yeah, because they are so few, they are very much uh, yeah. demanded for yes. activities and yes. for being the role model that is actually participating <laughs> in an event. Yeah, if once they find you, then they get you in every <laughs> event. So that's another problem because many speakers, they looked at their timetables and they weren't available yeah. for that day. So that was a concern as well, mm. even though we advertised it in October. Yeah. <laughs> mm. well, we found a good range of both like PhD students all the way up. See, that's the idea, to have a diversity in age, in position, in subjects, language even. Yeah, because most of the talks are in Swedish. Or is it... Yeah, mixed? so we experimented last year a little bit uh, with half the talks in English and half Swedish. But then we found that, uh, yeah, Swedish works better, mm. especially when you're talking to the local crowd. Yeah. But we try to ensure that by providing a volunteer that speaks either of the language mm. so they can support the speaker in case if the speaker is English speaking, mm. then the volunteer is Swedish speaking. So they can assist if there are questions from the crowd. But some people like Judith are bilingual very fluently, so they handle both. I think Judith at some point was speaking in both languages <laughs> as a simultaneously. Yes, that was, I had kind of uh, practiced it in, mm-hmm. I don't in Swedish or in English. We had practiced in English. Yeah. That's what when we, we, because we were an international group right. here. 
And uh, when I was standing up on the box, then I saw, oh, he is both Swedish-speaking and non-Swedish-speaking people. So I kind of uh, said every sentence, uh, first in Swedish and then in English, oh. which was very confusing to myself. <laughs> But the people told me afterwards that they were all able to, to follow in a way. And as we also simplify what we are talking about and try to make it in a way that people can come in even after half my 10 minutes where I'd been talking and they still can understand what I'm talking about, it makes it also a little bit easier to, to switch language. But of course, you, if you stand there and you know some people and you see, you would like, you won't like to be inclusive and not to start speaking only a language where you know these people don't talk that language yeah. or they have difficulties understanding mm. it. So it's always a challenge in science, I guess, to, to find the right language. Yeah. Yeah, it always is. I don't have any more questions. Do you have anything else you want to say? Well, from my side, I would just like to welcome everyone to join us on 18th Absolutely. of May. Yes. yes. In the city, In the center, city center, 10 to 15. Yes. Sunny yes. weather. Yes. yes. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we will have 12 women there presenting. It's yes. going to be super fun. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, nice. Then thank you so much for coming, both of you. Thank you for asking us. Yeah. It's our pleasure. <laughs>